Hey, it's Jay. I wanted to extend a special thanks to those of you who have listened and left reviews on iTunes for this podcast. Please leave a review if you haven't done so already. We sincerely appreciate it. You can also find our app in our Apple App Store called Big Buck Deer Hunter 2015 and in the Google Play Store for Google and Android devices. Thanks for your support and enjoy the show. Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 129. Steve Esker, How to Kill Multiple 200-Inch Giant Whitetail Bucks. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hi, this is Jeanette from No Limits TV and Master Taxidermist with the Game Preserve Taxidermy. You're listening to the Masters of the Deer Hunting Podcast World. Jay and Dusty of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hello, my name is Jerry Hamza. I'm the author of Outdoor Chronicles, True Tales of a Lifetime of Hunting and Fishing. My favorite podcast is Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Todd Mead, author of Backcountry Bucks and outdoor writer. Get ready for another amazing podcast with Jay and Dusty on the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I am back again. My name is Jay, and on the other mic is my good friend Dusty Phillips. What's happening, my friend? Ah, man, we got a show lined up tonight, Jay. (laughs) There are very few men in the world or women that have shot multiple 200 inch bucks. No doubt about that. You know, and uh, it's going to be uh, one of them shows where I think that you're going to learn quite a bit. And it's going to be a whole lot to take in about how he grows beautiful, beautiful, mature whitetails here in Ohio. Mr. Steve Esker is going to join us. Yes. And Steve is one of the premier and most talented deer hunters that I know. He's got a formula, and as we, on our quest to break down and, and dissect the things that world-class deer hunters do, Steve is at the one of the pinnacles of, of th- this category. We've talked to some great deer hunters recently, for sure, and, and Steve is right there, right there with all of them. His basement is just full of some of the largest deer known to man. Yeah, you know, it's uh, he's going to tell you that he's a trophy hunter, and that's what he does. He uh, he tries to grow maximum antler growth and, and capitalize on what he's built there, you know. And when you take pride in what you're going to harvest or kill, and you put 110% into it, and you spend the time doing what he does, and you spend the money and chase the deer and, and actually go in and... and kill the deer that you said you was going to kill and it's not just happened once it's been consecutive tremendous just tremendous yeah his formula is is just off the charts and i don't know if i can do what he does because he's i mean i'd like to but i don't know if i could because of the the time constraints it takes a it takes serious planning i mean quite frankly is it's yeah, not not only that you you need a team and you need to uh you need to have a have it organized and and be able to lay it out the way you want it to be and you know you got to be able to chase it and you know we're going to hear in this podcast all the methods to grow in mature whitetails and, and how to go about capitalizing on where they're living and you know not only are they in big woods and and out in the country but they're you know urban deer or or monsters too and it's it's a proven fact right here talking with steve absolutely so before we get to Steve Esker and start figuring out what he's got going on, we're going to open up a new segment this week, Dusty, and it's going to be the Deer News with Jim Keller, our latest addition to the Big Buck Podcast. Yeah, everybody, we hope uh, you welcome Jim aboard and, and uh, enjoy what Jim has to talk about in the Deer News. So here's Jim Keller with the news. 
For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with this week's Deer News. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about chronic wasting disease. It's near and dear to my heart as a topic because it was recently discovered in my home state of Michigan. So as a result, I've been doing a little research on this. And then even last week, a new case was reported in Michigan. Chronic wasting disease was first identified in captive mule deer in Colorado as far back as 1967. It was a disease that predominantly affected captive deer, but over the years has been found in free-ranging deer. CWD was first found in Michigan in 2008 in a captive deer herd, but there were no other cases until just this past year. So far, four deer in the state of Michigan have been found to have chronic wasting disease, and they're all free-ranging deer. The most recent one was discovered or identified last week as part of a program where hunters in the area where the original chronic wasting disease deer had been found were bringing their deer to DNR check stations to be analyzed to see if they had the disease. Through that process, about 3,700 deer were brought in. Out of the 3,700, one has been and reported to have the chronic wasting disease. Chronic wasting disease has been found in 20 states in the U.S. and two Canadian provinces. It's most widespread right now in the West, but it has worked its way east. And so a few facts that we all need to know is that it's a really a disease that affects the deer's central nervous system. It not only affects white-tailed deer, but it also affects elk and moose. It attacks their brain and creates small lesions in the brain that eventually result in their death. It's typically transmitted through direct animal-to-animal contact with saliva, urine, feces, blood, carcasses, of infected animals that die and then infect the soil. They can get it through eating grass that's infected. If you're hunting and you think you might see a deer that you're concerned about its behavior, some things to look for in a deer with CWD are loss of body condition or emaciation, change in behavior since there's a loss of fear of humans. Oftentimes deer with CWD are hit by cars because they're just kind of oblivious to what's around them and they really don't fear anything. They'll exhibit loss of bodily control and movements and they often drool and salivate excessively. The impact of CWD is still being understood, but we do know that it spreads easily through the herds. It will affect their population. So far, there's not many studies done on just what it's going to mean long-term to deer. There's a recent study, though, in Wyoming, kind of the first of its kind, that determined that right now, chronic wasting in one part of Wyoming is killing 19% of the deer herd annually, and they anticipate that within 40 years, it could eliminate that deer herd. Now, that's the first study that's been done, and it was done by the University of Wyoming, a graduate student there, and is really the first of its kind. What's a safe approach for hunters in handling venison that could potentially be contaminated with CWD? Well, first of all, if a deer looks sick or acts strange in any way, uh, don't eat the venison. When field dressing a deer or handling the carcass or bones, be sure to wear gloves, even in an area that's not known to have CWD. Avoid eating parts of the deer like the brain, spinal cord, eye, spleen, tonsils, lymph nodes, and you really don't even want to handle those parts if you can avoid it because those are the parts of the deer that are most likely contaminated with the disease and would have the prions that spread it. Right now, there's no known risk to eating venison with CWD. But again, if you know the deer has been contaminated, don't eat it. But it doesn't mean that we need to stop hunting and eating venison, at least based on what's known today. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about this topic, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. All right. Thanks to Jim for the news. And without further ado, here's Steve Esker. Steve Esker, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? Not too bad. How you guys doing? We're having a great night, man. We're talking to you. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Good to talk with you, Steve. Yeah. Well, St- Steve, in our quest to break down world-class deer hunters, uh, we, we'd like to talk to you tonight and see how you you go about your your day in the woods and see if we can uh, learn a, a few things. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Fire away. Cool, man. Where, where do you call home, Steve? Ohio. I actually live in Ohio, but uh, in Elk is pretty much what I call home. Okay. Very nice. And have you been there for your entire life, or is this a place that you moved to from somewhere else? No, no. I, I, I grew up in northern Ohio, Fremont, Ohio, near Polk County. Okay. I'm a, I'm a big-time walleye fisherman, so born, born right there by Lake Erie. Awesome. I, I've heard some really good things about that spot. So you're, you've been exposed to the land of the giants from day one. This is this is kind of a, a thing you've you've known your entire life. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not not really my entire life. I grew up in northern Ohio. We don't have here many deer in the area. We do down in central and southeast Ohio. But I've been located here in the Columbus area for almost twenty years. I graduated college, and uh, you know, so I kind of grew up. You know, up in Shadowbuck. That's great, but you know, it was just a taste. Gotcha. And how do you how do you go about, or how did you learn how to deer hunt? I mean, 
you've been exposed to it for a while, but is there somebody that you would credit to your, your deer hunting education or is it something that you are, you flew solo and just kind of taught yourself? This is all on our own. I've got a twin brother, Scott. So, you know, we, nobody in my family, I've got two other brothers, sisters, and one of them there. You know, so it's kind of one of the things that started out as a Cub Scout, three Boy Scout. Steve, if we could, could you kind of break down your philosophy of hunting? I mean, are you would you consider yourself a, a meat hunter first, or would you consider yourself a deer hunter or a, a trophy hunter? Do you, or even do you even categorize yourself in any of those things? I'm definitely a trophy hunter, but but at the same end, I'm also a manager as well. You know, I mean, I'll harvest a doe here and there, but uh, mostly I'm, I'm looking for big bucks and big mature bucks and trying to figure out how to outsmart them. Okay. And why why do you do that? I mean, I, I think I have an answer, but I'm just curious. What What's your answer if I ask you, why do you uh, trophy hunt? Well, it's an obsession. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you just, I started, like I said, I grew up as a kid and I was just a meat hunter and any deer would do. And, you know, as I got older, you know, I started thinking, you know, deer are pretty easy to kill. And I started killing some nice bucks, uh, 1994, I killed my first 200 inch whitetail. Mm. Um, that kind of changed the way I looked at things. You know, that was a pretty big deal back in 1994. And I was 26, 27 years old, somewhere around there. Okay. And um, from from that point on, I really was like, wow, these giants are out here. And I know they're out here. And what can I do to start bettering myself? And what changed? I mean, what, what was that switch that went on in your head that said, all right, I, I, there's something really great about hunting a big whitetail like that what what was the change for you well the change was you know you just you know they're there you see them you get them on your trail cameras and i shot i've shot a lot of 150 bucks i'm not they don't i'm not going to say they don't interest me anymore it's just i think the challenge to find that four and a half five and a half year old deer is is what i'm pursuing It, it, it doesn't it never gets boring obviously Right. You've just changed. Oh, no. There's, <laughs> there's no boredom ever. Right. But you've changed your desires. The, the, what you'll, did it, did it, does it come from just like a, all right, I, I've, I've reached that plateau last year. Now it's time to do something bigger and better and challenge myself against the, the elements, against the, the instincts of the whitetail. Is it something right. like that? Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a more, more like that. I mean, I, every year, I mean, I run a gobload of trail cameras. You know, they're in the field 24 7, 365 days a year. I'm like some people, they just put them out, you know, when the hunt seasons are rolling around. But I'm, I'm pretty much watching the deer all year round. Uh, you know, a lot of my off season scouting is what's more important than in season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm running 58 cameras in the field right now between me and my brother and a couple of buddies. Uh, we're running about 62 properties, you know, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of work, you know, we're running cameras every three to four days and, uh, you know, it, you gotta have the right properties. How do you keep up with that much stuff? Uh, that seems like a lot of cameras, a lot of properties. You have to have time. Time. Okay. You know, if you don't have the time, you can't chase big white tails. I mean, I, I really can honestly tell people that, you know, you have to have time. You have to have multiple properties to even pick one or two targets that you go after a year. Gotcha. So you've got 62 properties and let's break down the day and the week. Like what, how does this, how does this begin? How do you begin to monitor that many cameras? Well, there's four of us that kind of pick in each little section of town. Each one of us is running, you know, 12 to 15, 20 cameras on any given day. Um, you know, and it works out really good that way. Three of us are here and then my one buddy is out of state. So he, he really doesn't get the opportunity to come and do all the stuff we do. He just gets the opportunity to sit in a good spot and kill a big buck every year. <laughs> gotcha. Good place for him to be. How do you get on that list, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> tough list. You really have to grow up with me. <laughs> you oh, missed 30 that. years of it. I think your opportunity has passed, Dusty. Yeah, that that's phenomenal there, though. You know, just to hear that uh, you got a great friend there, Steve, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so this is your deer season never ends. No, it's, it's it's all year round. It just yeah. So you know, it just so happens that certain times of the year the state lets you 
carry some weapons in the woods. But you're really pursuing these these deer all year round. You're monitoring your cameras. And yeah. what, what what happens when you start to lock in on a particular deer? How does that play into your your strategy? Well, I'll give you a perfect example. I had a, uh, a buck in 2010. It's, uh, it, the, the property that we have is 240 acre. It's an old tree farm that was uh, all the rows of trees were left on it. It's got a lot of cropland. And I was chasing the deer with 24 points, and so we call it MTF 24 tree farm 24 gotcha and that deer you know he's on 240 acres and he's he's running other places too but um once i got pictures of him i seen him you know the year before he was like a 165 i only had pictures of him you know three or four times i wasn't chasing him that year because i was after another year deer that i killed in 2009 and in 2010, I wanted to find him, and he was one of those deer that would show up in just one or two locations, and I'd move six cameras all the way around this farm and say, okay, he's, he's, he runs here, but he doesn't run here. He runs here, and he doesn't run here. And then what I what I figured out is this deer really liked to run north and south and didn't like to run east and west. Hmm. So I kind of patterned him there, and then I had him from, you know, where, it, where I knew for sure 100% he was betting, and then travel routes, uh, creek bottoms, and crop fields where he was moving back and forth. So I kind of narrowed him down to almost 100 acres on the farm. Wow. All right. So this takes camera. This takes time. This takes mapping. You got to figure out. Yeah. You, you got to know the lay of the land, too. I mean, 100 acres is not a huge piece of property, but certainly you've got a well, in that hundred acres, he he's got thousands of acres he could go to. Right, that's what I was gonna say. You know, you, but I pretty much found his core area within that hundred acres. You had to take the thousand acres first and start whittling <laughs> it down with all the clues. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how many times have you been able to do this over your career? Um. Yeah. I've I've been able to zero in on them pretty good um, over the years. I'd say. You know, where I found a buck and had to lock him down, I'd say at least five of them, that I, I had to keep moving around trying to find out where he was and where he wasn't. Do you, do you attribute the camera, the game camera, to one of the effective tools to, to start to dissect his travel Absolutely. routes? Okay. Absolutely. But, you know, and I'm in Ohio, and so we're also a bait state. So, right. you know, we, we get to put down corn and mineral and I'm, I'm a mineral junkie. I mean, I'm, you know, I ran 2,200 pounds of mineral last year. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, I, the deer absolutely need it starting in January all the way through September. You know, I'm, I'm pounding the mineral to them. Uh, it's way more important than any corn kernel of corn you could ever give them. Any particular brand, Steve? Um, I use uh, a mineral WNS. It stands for Complete White Tail Nutrition Systems. Okay, gotcha. And what what um, what was the trial and error that you decided that the mineral is more important than the corn? Well, when you put mineral out and you're getting two thousand pictures a week just on mineral, hmm. you kind of think they need it, you know. And I and I see you know I see a lot of people that kill deer in other areas. Not not generally in my area, but I mean the mass that I'm putting on the deer, you know, four year old deer. That that 24 pointer that I shot in 2010 scored two seventeen seven eights, and he was only four and a half years old. Wow, holy so, smokes! So it's yeah, and so it's and he was a 165 buck the year before. I've got his sheds from the year before. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, I mean you're putting 50 inches on a deer in one year. In some cases, two two deer that we've harvested where we have the sheds from before, we've we've actually seen 50 inches of growth on. Wow! Holy smokes! And yeah. you're saying this is just the mineral, the, the genetics playing at all, or and other nutrition? Yeah, or is defi- this? definitely genetics. Okay. You know, I won't hunt where a big buck, big buck won't live. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I, there's there's tons of places you can go and sit and sit and sit and never get a picture of a 150. If I don't get a, if I don't physically get a picture of a 150 within two years on a property, I won't, I won't even hunt that property anymore. I'll just cross it off the list and move to another area. Interesting. So are you looking for, other than the game camera, are there other uh, clues and tips and, and just things that you, that you see in that property that you key in on or is, is, is the game camera it? 
Is that the one thing? Well, the game, the game camera is one valuable asset, but truth be told, I like to look for the spots that are overlooked. So I like to look at the spot that nobody even thinks about hunting because a big buck's going to live in that spot. Okay. You know, you, I've got spots that are an acre big to 300 acres, you know, and it's, and it's uh, the majority of my hunting properties are 10 acres or less. Interesting. Let's break that down a little bit. How, how do you go about identifying those those pieces of properties that are kind of overlooked? What sticks out in your head? Well, uh, some of the things that really stick out is if I'm, I'll look at an aerial, I'll look at, you know, nice river bottoms, I'll look at developments and housing communities and, and things that butt up to them where people might not be bothering deer or there's nice ravines and, and dips. And, you know, I do a lot of urban hunting. So I'll look at the possibility where a big buck could be. And then I look at how far out of a regular pattern would that big buck travel to bed all day long where he know, where I know nobody's going to bother him? And then I'll look for that little spot. Okay. Now, the properties that you're describing, these are not necessarily your properties that you own, but it sounds like you have to do some door knocking. And I do a lot of door knocking. All right. Um, I do own, I do own a couple of properties. Uh, two of my 200s came off of uh, one of my own properties. I got a quick question for you. I've heard a story about a feller knocking on some doors around the golf course. Is there any story behind that you'd like to tell real quick? Um, golf courses are fantastic. Is there is there one in particular about uh, being an insurance agent? <laughs> insurance agent? Which one's that? Where you might have been knocking on a door and a guy opened the door with a bone collector t-shirt on and you said, I'm trying to sell some insurance. Oh, that's my brother, Scott. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah. Tell us that yeah, story, he, Steve, uh, if you could. He went to he went to knock on the door to uh, get a permission, and uh, the guy answers with a bone collector shirt on. So you know, immediately you're like, "Well, I'm not going to ask for hunting permission because this guy hunts, and I don't want to key him off to what I might be after." So you know, th- those things happen sometimes. You know, and that was just luck. The guy answered the bone collector shirt, and, and he knew to say, "Oh, I'm selling insurance." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I yeah, thought Ed's, uh, I was talking to Ed Wade a little bit about you guys, and I thought maybe it was for you, Steve, but it was for your brother. No, no, it was Scott. Yeah, no, that, was, uh, that was Bummer. last year. He was yeah, he was chasing a 190 buck that he killed on the third day of the season last year, and uh, it was just funny. We he, he needed to get in somewhere in that backside uh, with the southwest wind in his favor. So. That's funny. So he had to think. He had to do some quick thinking on his feet to. Uh, Back yeah, out of there. yeah, yeah, and sometimes, sometimes that happens. You know, you know, you know, you never know who else is a hunter. Right, right, yeah. You don't want to definitely don't want to tip them off what you're after. Right. Steve, let's talk a little bit about how you go about obtaining permission. And I mean, I think everybody's got a different strategy. Uh, what's yours? How do you how do you approach a landowner? Are you, do you wear certain clothes? Do you have a certain um, script that you go through. What do you? How, how do you do that? I'm never. I'm never going to go to a landover without being at least almost well dressed. You know, dockers and dockers and a nice shirt. Uh, I don't want to show up and. You know, sometimes I'll go in jeans if I still have a nice golf shirt or something on. But, you know, sometimes you just want to have a little more respect to the landowner to show them that you are a clean-cut individual. And, and you know, and, and really getting permissions is not that difficult. And how do you how do you go about it? What's so you say you knock on the door? What's the first thing you say when they open up? Um, you know, usually you introduce yourself and um, you talk to the landowner and you see kind of you kind of figure out if they're gonna be you know disgruntled or if they're gonna be happy. Hmm. And you know you kind of can judge which way the conversation's gonna go. Um, and even the ones that answered the door disgruntled, you know, you kind of. I've got a good personality. My brother's got a good personality. We're both in sales. So we, we deal with people on a daily basis. Okay. And one thing about talking with people is you just kind of trying to find that thing that's going to make them at ease. And you, you get them to start talking and opening up. And you get a lot of no's. But you'd be surprised at how many no's work into something else. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I've been chasing a nice deer. I've been watching him for two years, and um, the guy, I finally I finally got the guy to give me permission to run a trail camera last season, and this season, I had a, a deer that was 180. Um, he's a 7x7 seven seven with 
four extra tines, so he's 18 points. He's a little short on the tine length, and then I had another bigger typical that I knew would net Boone and Crockett, so I chose to let that other deer go. But before I chose to hunt the other deer, I talked to the landowner and said, you know, I'd really like to pursue this deer maybe this year if uh, something goes on and I can't get to this other one. And uh, he goes, he was just like, you know, you've done good for me. You've helped me around the house and the yard. And, you know, I fixed his garage door opener for him. And, you know, you do things here and there for him. And, you know, because I'm in and out of this guy's driveway, you know, every three, four days, you know, so he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, you start to grow on him. And this year I asked him if I could actually pursue the deer this year and he ripped me a permission slip to actually hunt. So, you know, you, it takes time sometimes. Um, one thing I, I like to do, I like to say, can I just run a camera? You know, cause usually that, that helps you get to the landowner a few more times. Um, and then you can, you know, they get some trust in you. That's a good, that's a good perspective right there. Can I just run a, a, a camera? Nothing more. Yeah. Just, just let me see what's out here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, and it's, and it's generally because I know what's out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I've seen them in a bean field. I've seen them, you know, I, I, I've seen the deer elsewhere, but I know I've already done my aerials and my homework and, and, and I know that I need to set, uh, one, one thing I do is I always set every set. If I'm only going to be able to hunt a property, it's always going to be on the west side of the road. So the southwest wind is in my favor. I know, and we're predominantly a southwest wind coming across Ohio. I, I'd like to be able to hunt 70% of the days. Okay. Very interesting. Well, let's uh, let's get into some uh, gear check stuff, Steve. I like to kind of pick your brain about the the types of gear that you use in the woods, uh, Dusty. You want to kind of take the lead here? Um, yeah, absolutely. Let, let's start with the game camera. Uh, I use multiple game cameras. The, the the best cameras for longevity is is by far the Moultrie. Um, I like the 880 series, the old older model. Uh, the 990 has been good. Um, they're on the pricey side. They have their problems, like all game cameras do. They you know that they they lack a little bit in the trigger um, on the on the pictures. They lack a little bit in the quality. You know they they try to make them more smaller and more megapixels, and I think they need to go back to plain Jane technology and go from there. But the thing I like about the bone tree is I'm getting four years, four seasons in the field, never pulling it out. So, and I'm not getting that. I, I run some coverts. I like the coverts for video mode. Um, it's fantastic for video mode. Uh, the MP6 is a great camera in the blackout. Mm. And I've recently been using the cheap $39 camera from Wildview from uh, Field and Stream and Dick's Sporting Goods that they have on sale right now. And it's a fantastic camera. It's got great battery life. It takes good pictures. Uh, it takes many pictures. So I'm having good luck with that camera as well. When you when you talk about battery life, how many pictures are you normally taking with a, with a camera, Steve? Um, I'd say half of my setups are, are getting... 1,500 to 2,000 pictures a week. And, and, and how, how many pictures do you think you're doing on batteries, one set of batteries? Um, as it gets colder, you know, you get less pictures. I'm probably changing batteries out every three weeks. Gotcha. Are you, are you doing uh, recyclable or rechargeable batteries, or are you just buying batteries? Um, I, went to, I went that route, and it's just it's you're running too many cameras you just you know there's I, i've tried all the lithiums i've done all that route the lithiums there's no gain from it you know you go to sam's club you could buy 48 pack of batteries for 18 dollars and you just you just get used to that you're going to have a five six hundred dollar battery bill a year right yeah it makes sense if you're going to chase it you got to use it um let's get in a little bit about uh your your hunting camouflage let's run through your camouflage setup <clears throat> Um, I'm not particular to anything. Uh, the mossy oak patterns are all nice. Um, you know, I, I've got some sick of gear that I like to wear at the springtime for turkeys. Um, but I'm not, uh, camouflage isn't really that important. Um, when, cause most of my kills are from a ground blind and I wear black. So, I mean, black and blue jeans in a lot of cases. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Talk about ground blinds. What kind of ground blinds are you setting up? Um, I'd say the majority of them are pop-ups, but I've got a couple of rednecks. I've got a a, a monster shadow hunter on my property, 6 by 10 I mean, I might as well move a satellite dish and TV and a couch in there because it's so roomy. <laughs> but, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty nice blind. And that, that one sits about 12 feet. The rednecks are up 10 feet. Um, and then all the rest of them are, are just pop-ups here and there. So you're saying that some of them you've got them up on like a pedestal. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, homemade pedestal, or you you purchased in a pedestal. Uh, the rednecks come with the uh, the platform, and the uh, the shadow hunter. I built the platform for it. Gotcha. Okay. Let's get in a little bit. Uh, you got a backpack that you carry to the woods, will you? I do. Let's run through where you got uh-huh. in your backpack. Um, depending on how big the trip is, if I'm going out west or or in Mexico or something, um, you deer hunting, I'm I'm taking a bigger pack, and that pack is a Sika uh, Sika gear pack, and my smaller pack that I hunt locally is uh, uh, Zing. If you're, let's say you're hunting whitetails in Ohio, what are you packing? Uh, the smaller pack. Yeah, what do you, what do you got in the pack? Uh, I've got a uh, Canon XA10 camera. I have net calls. I've got a rattling, uh, rattling antlers, uh, extra batteries, binoculars, range finder, you name it. Whatever I could put in there, sense. Sprays. Run through your particular brand of scent sprays. Um, scent sprays. I I, I like Dead Mountain. Um, seems to do pretty good. Um, I use Myozonics religiously. Um, as far as deer scents, I really like the Evercom and the DS uh, One. You said Evercom. Evercom and DS One. Awesome. You had uh, how long have you been using the Evercom? Uh, at least five years. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, it's an awesome product. No you know, kidding. And, you know, and I like to keep it close. I usually pull the, the speed stick out of my bag and put it in one of my side pockets. You know, sometimes you get deer coming down the fence row. They're acting funny. You know, you get does that might want to start looking around, putting their head up. And sometimes I'll just pull that speed stick out and just rub it on the tree. And then you'd be surprised how quick they just calm down. No kidding. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. They get that. They get that whiff, and you, no, it's just a speed stick. All you gotta do is rub it on the tree next to you. Hmm. So this rub is a, as you're viewing, as you're viewing deer come down, you'll literally take out the oh, stick. Oh yeah, if they come in and they start whipping their head up and smelling around, that, that they smell something that yeah. you know you you can have every scent product out there, and something's still gonna escape. You know, and some of these deer are so smart. You know, they smell everything. You know, when you urban hunt, I mean, they smell everything on interesting so the evercom comes in like a speed stick where it's almost like a deodorant bar it's like a deodorant bar and the vs1 also comes in a speed stick i use both of them in the speed stick no kidding hmm. i don't know i don't i can't recall who the company is that makes them I right just know it, the two names that i buy what give me a one to ten scale that that's helped you kill a mature buck um i'll give you a one to ten i'll give you a five to six i have a particular Good. case where I had to calm some does down, and then I ended up killing him, you know, 10 minutes after they went through. No kidding. So Interesting. It, it worked out. Yeah, I had I had a, uh, I had a foot stomper in my food plot. She'd, she'd busted me before, and right. she'd blow at me, and, you know, she came in earlier this evening, that evening that I uh, shot my 2009 buck, and she was doing her foot stomping thing, and she wasn't looking for me, but she was just trying to figure out if I was up there, she smelled something. I pulled that little speed stick out and I rubbed it on the tree, man. She just wiggled her tail, calmed right down, started eating in the food pot. No kidding. Yeah. A great example of a product in use there. So yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of bow are you shooting? Shooting a Camex crossbow. A Camex crossbow. Okay. Any, any, uh, yeah. What's the draw weight on that? Uh, 175 pounds, 325 feet per second. Oh, that's a fast one. I'm assuming yeah. carbon it's, arrows. It's, it's a great bow. Carbon arrow? Uh, yes, it's a carbon arrow. What are you tipping the arrow with? What kind of broadhead? I shoot a 100-grain swacker. I'm shooting the three blades this year. And that's a fixed-blade swacker? Uh, three-blade swacker. Yeah, fixed-blade, not mechanical, correct? Oh, no, no, it's mechanical. I'm sorry. Okay, yes, gotcha. Okay, mechanical, mechanical swacker, three-blade. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Jay, you want to take us on a hunt? Yeah, let's, uh, Steve, if we could, I had a quick question about your, your game cameras. Do you care if it's like a blackout versus um, infrared? Do you think that affects the deer? I absolutely do, and all my cameras are blackout. Gotcha. That's what I was wondering. All right, so you, yeah. all the all the cameras you set up have to be the blackout. Well, well, this this new wild view, it's not blackout. You can still see the red. Mm-hmm. As, long as, as long as it's not a white flash, I'm okay with it. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't have to have that black screen in front of it. Gotcha. Okay. But they still see that red light. I mean, they look at it all the time. They hear the camera click. They. Yeah. But in most of my setups, the deer get used to it. Okay. So they've got some familiarity with the camera itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They've all grown up on a camera. As much, much <laughs> gotcha. If as much as you run a camera, how long do you think that it takes for the whitetail to get adjusted to that camera flash or the sound? 
do a light flash or to the sound. Sometimes they never get adjusted to it. Sometimes you only get one or two pictures of them and, and you got to move your camera down a fence road to tricking and try to get another picture of them. Gotcha. So that uh, there's, a, there's a chance that there's some that's smart enough to actually, uh, I don't know if I should say that, there's some deer that uh, won't adapt to it and you have to actually relocate them. That's right. And and, and and that's one of the reasons you keep moving cameras around sometimes to zero in on, on a core area. Gotcha. Right, very good, Steve. I was wondering if we could go on a deer hunt with you and and uh, virtually and reminisce and go back to one of your most memorable deer hunts that you've ever been on. And I was wondering if you could take us on a a play by play, like we're kind of sitting on your shoulder watching this whole thing go down. Do you, do you have a particular hunt in mind that 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 might fit that bill? My my 2010 deer, okay. um, awesome, awesome way that I found him and found where he was at and and you know and how how to try to time it and plan it um you know i'm i'm huge on using the moon guide or soul lunar and the moon phases uh you know i i tell a lot of people that you know the last seven deer i've killed i haven't even been i haven't even hunted 40 days in total in seven years so what i like to do is the reason I run the cameras every three, four days is because when your target's there, he's generally there for a couple of days. He doesn't move off. And, and, you know, as you start getting into the middle of October, he might be hanging around some does. Right. So if you see him one day, there's a good chance that you caught him on the camera there. He's going to be there tomorrow or the next day. So then I'll try and make sure the wind is right. Make sure that, you know, maybe there's a high noon. noon. Um, I love the third week of October. It's, it's, it's been very good to me. Um, that particular hunt, um, I had corn all the way around me in the fields. I had a big 40 acre thicket. Uh, this was on the tree farm and it's very, very overgrown. Uh, I'm sitting right in the middle of the thicket. So I could, if they were and on one edge, I wasn't bumping them there. If they were on another edge, I wasn't bumping there. I only went 60 yards in, found a nice little oak tree that I could only get in 15 feet. It was pretty young tree farm. Um, I was running corn and mineral all summer long there. Um, I got the deer in velvet all the time. This deer disappeared on me for 32 days, two times, exactly 32 days. And it was, it was kind of weird. So I wasn't even pressured to hunt him at all until he showed up again. Um, he showed up on the 13th of October and on the 14th of October, on the 13th, they were cutting the backpack field in the corn. So I figured that's what pushed him into the thicket. And then on the 14th, they were cutting the front field and I made sure that I was going to get in there and hunt that evening. And this is only the second sit that I'd sat for him. And um, I pretty much have to low crawl into the area, get up in the tree, get situated, get all my equipment on there. And 7.05, he come into the thicket into my area and put him down at 24 yards. Wow. Just like that. So it sounds like you, you dissected this deer completely. Like you knew more than most hunters would know about a deer. And that was the difference. It, it is the difference. And I mean, I, if you ever looked at my annual trail camera pictures, most people are just in disbelief. And they, they're just thinking, how do you have so many monster bucks on your cameras? And it's just, you know, it's having the right properties and running a lot of cameras and spending a lot of time running them. You know, I, I tell people I'm 90% scouting, 10% hunting. Okay. And it's probably even less than 10% hunting. So the, the 2010 deer, it, what did, what did it uh, score out at? Uh, that deer was 217 and 7 eighths gross. He nutted 208 and 28. Wow. It's amazing. Let's, uh, just kind of breaking down a little bit more of this, this game camera activity. You, you get a lot of pictures, obviously, and you have tons of pictures, tons and tons. How, how do you, how do you, what types of tools do you use to sort them out? You're plugging them into a computer. And then what's going yeah. through your mind as you're going through picture after picture of does and squirrels and big bucks? What, how are you categorizing this in your head? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because when I go pull cards, I'll pull, you know, 10, 12 cards at a time. And I'll have friends over that, you know, don't do what I do on a daily basis. And they'll see me scanning through the cards like really fast. And they're like, slow down, slow down. And I said, no, I'm, no, no, no. And it's like, well, why are you going so fast? And I said, because I'll know when I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know what I'm looking for. Yeah. 
you know, you get, you get, when you get into the daylight pictures, you have to pretty much slow down and go through them almost individually. But the nighttime pictures, you know exactly what you're looking for. I mean, it's just, bam, there's a, there's a big rack, you know? Gotcha. So, you know, it's, it's, it's time consuming and, and exhausting at the same time. You know, I mean, I, I, I can get through about six or eight cards and I, I need to go take a nap. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how tiring I get looking at the computer screen going through all those pictures. So you're, you're really taking some technology and using it, using a computer. Um, you're going through loads of cards. How many pictures are you processing in a day once you go retrieve the cards? Oh, thousands, thousands. I'd, I'd say if I pull, if I pull 10 cards, I'm probably looking at 10,000 pictures. Holy smokes. And are you using any kind of special software to sort through this, or are you just looking at the basic computer picture well, software? Well, I've, I've, I've had to uh, put two uh, five, uh, what's, what's the biggies, what do you call them in the uh, computer world? Um, two mega storage banks I had to put in, on my computer because I just had so much, so many uh, video clips and pictures on them that they were just... I couldn't storm anymore. Right. I mean, I'd wear out all my storage space and just have to keep adding and adding. You know, but but I've documented year and year and year and year of pictures. Um, at one point in time, you have to say, okay, I know that buck. Let's just document one or two so I can tell, you know, why was he here? That I can go back and figure out what wind it was and kind of things like that, the temperatures and the moon phase. And, and that's one thing I really enjoy about the Moultrie cameras because it gives you that information on your camera and a lot of the other ones don't. Gotcha. So you're you're kind of keeping a database of all the other data that Moultrie will will keep in there as well. And mm-hmm. you're do you keep notes on a notebook on the side, or are you just kind of making mental notes? I have some mental notes. Um, I I know you know like especially if I'm if he's my target buck, I'm making notebook notes. I'll start writing things now. Okay, gotcha. So. That's a lot of pictures. So ten thousand pictures. I mean, I'm I'm trying to envision this. I go through a few of mine, but I, I don't have anywhere close to that. And it's it, um, you know, it's 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 mind blowing at times. It's it's like I said, it's I've gone to the point where I've got through six or seven cards, and and I I, I literally my eyes can't focus anymore. Right. Now, how how much time do you spend looking at pictures? <sighs> say 10 or 12 cards takes me at least an hour plus okay i, I would have guessed longer than that but that's not too bad i got but yeah well, you, you know you know like i said you get to you know what you're looking for you know what you're looking for right. yeah you don't stop and look at those you don't look at raccoons you don't look at coyotes you know you're looking for bone that's right looking for bone okay gotcha so a couple of things that, that I wanted to ask you, Stephen, these are, these are the questions that we ask all of our guests, and it's kind of like a rapid-fire type situation. How old are you today, Steve? I'm 47. You're 47 years old. Knowing what you know today about life and deer hunting, what would you ask or what would you tell the Steve Esker 27 years ago, the 20-year-old, knowing what you know today? Hmm. This is a good question. It's a very good question. Yeah. I think if I was trying to tell myself 20, at 20 years old, I would say obtain the right permissions. Don't waste so much time on, on properties that aren't producing. Um, you know, find the right spot, uh, run the cameras, you know, but as a 20 year old, we didn't have all the technology we have today. So for a 20 year old today, I would tell them, you know, find the right spots and you have to have multiple spots. You can't. If you want to consistently tag a big buck, you have to have multiple spots. Okay. You can't you can't just count on one or two properties because it's just not it's not going to happen. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. This one's kind of difficult too. These are all difficult questions, but they're they're thought provoking. You have a bunch of hunting tips that you could give somebody. If you had to pick just one, what would that number one hunting tip be? Scout more than you hunt. Okay. The hunt hunt is more or less the byproduct of the scouting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. that is exactly right. Hunting is is the byproduct of the scouting. Okay, and yeah. do you use? I mean, you you seem to be a man of the field, somebody that understands how it's all connected and putting together the dots. Is there any kind of a reference that you use to educate yourself, or educated yourself along the way, like a book or a particular mentor or individual or a, a group of magazines? Is there anything that you turn to to obtain more knowledge about the whitetail? Nothing. All self-taught. 
um, trial and error. Okay. So, you know, I've never, I've never been into, you know, reading all the magazines. I like to read other people's stories, but I mean, most stories you can't really relate to the, and the same situation you're in. Right. Okay. Very good. All right. And this one's, this one's kind of interesting and we all have these things or this, this item that we bring into the woods, or at least most of us do. Maybe you don't, but it's usually some kind of an item, a good luck charm, a pacifier, something that just makes you feel like it's going to happen today type of thing. And then drives you crazy if you leave it in the truck. What's that one thing for you that you kind of need to have with you when you're hunting? So, so my superstition thing. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I have this, uh, I have this little, uh, it came in one of my dog's toys and the dog tore it apart. And if you hit it just right, it goes, woohoo. <laughs> you know, and uh, that's always in my bag. And I'm can you do that? Can you do that again? What's the sound that it makes? <laughs> we can play it. Back. Actually, uh, actually, my hunting bag's in my back seat here, and uh, I can probably hit my bag, and you can hear it because I'm uh, I'm getting ready to travel to Baltimore and try to hunt some sick of deer this weekend. Oh, cool! And, well, let me see if I can. Uh, Grab my little Wahoo, and I always carry. I always carry a Buckeye. A Buckeye. Bag. Yeah, I'm. I'm a diehard Ohio State Buckeye fan, and just uh, Buckeyes seem to be good luck for me. All right, now what, for all those non-Buckeyes, what what is a Buckeye? Uh, Buckeye comes from a from a Buckeye tree. It's pretty uh, pretty widely throughout the, all of Ohio. Um, it's it's a round little nut, kind of. It's not an edible nut by humans, but squirrels love them. Okay. Um, it's just a, it's it's a dark chocolate color with a with a lighter tan circle on the bottom of it, and it's very smooth and shiny. I don't know how much more I can explain it. Yeah. All right. That's uh, yeah. all right. So it's a buckeye. It's, it's a, Dusty. You have to yeah. show me some of those when we get down there. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I'm a huge yeah. buckeye fan, and actually, uh, my daughter's handed me a buckeye probably. Four years ago, my oldest daughter, and it's it's stuck with my hunting stuff ever since. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, you got the lucky buckeye with you too. <laughs> Seems to work here and there. All right, you guys ready? I'm ready. Yep. Here's my wahoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, the, so that wahoo so, goes in your bag. You ever you ever get uh, concerned that it's going to go off when you don't want it to? Uh, it has. I was on a mule deer hunt in Mexico and. Uh, I was uh, trekking across, uh, actually in pursuit of a muley, and uh, I took the bag off and I set my rifle up on the top of the bag, and sure enough, I hit that thing and I went, <laughs> but, uh, fortunately for me, the shot was 300 yards away, so it didn't make much bit of a difference. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Dusty, do you have any final questions for Steve? Uh <clears throat> No, Jay, I think that Steve covered a tremendous base of topics there and, and really opened up to, uh, to us and, and allowed our listeners to hear somebody, words from the, the horse's mouth, uh, somebody that's killed several 200-inch bucks. Yes, it's um, it's a tremendous feat. And Steven, I don't, do you, do you feel like this is a big deal? Because, you know, a lot of other hunters looking in are saying this this is a big deal. How do you feel about it? Um, It's a big deal to me. I don't, uh, you know how it is with everything, you know, you just, any, anytime somebody posts something on you, today's hunting world is, I try to stay out of the social media as much as I can, other than my own personal Facebook page, because mm-hmm. everybody is so hateful. Yeah. You know, I, you, you get to a point where every time a big buck falls, the first thing somebody cries is, is high fence. And, high fence, you know, you, see that a lot. And it, and it, and it. It used to get to me really, really bad because I know how hard I work at chasing a particular deer, and it it doesn't bother me anymore. I just got to the point where you know this is this is the fifteen year old kid on archery talk that probably don't get in the woods himself and just wants to create create problems for everybody. Yeah, what would you say to that fifteen year old? <laughs> well, I think because a lot of kids are more into social media. You know, I think it's I think it's the younger kids that are they want to hunt, but they're really not experienced to hunt. Yeah. And they see tons and tons of pictures of big white tails, and you know whatever media they're looking at, they're probably looking at a lot of high fence deer. You know, I mean, I, I don't like to slam anybody, but I, I I'd be on if I was going to be totally honest. I think archery archery talk should 
should change their ways. They they need to they need to crack down on it because that whole site ends up being feeling like that they're all PETA people, right. and that's not good for hunters. We all need to unite. Right. You know, hunter, I'm the first guy to if, if I'm chasing a 200 inch whitetail and the guy next door kills him, I'm the first one to congratulate him. You know, I I've learned to move on. I don't get bitter. I don't. I'm bumming, but I don't get bitter. You know, he got it done. That's all that matters. Right. I'm, I'm with you. I'm in you your gotta, camp. You got to respect the hunter for his accomplishments. And, and it's just too easy for social media today to, to put people down. And it's, yeah. and it's not fair. It's not right. fair because people don't know anything about how hard me and my brother chase whitetails and the time and the commitment that we put into it. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I'm going to back that because, uh, you know, I, I did uh, some months ago, maybe a year ago, and, and and I was talking to Ed Waite. And I'm real fortunate that me and Ed Waite's got to be pretty good friends. And you know, he calls me, and I call him pretty regular. And, and I know you talk to him quite a bit too, Steve. And yeah, uh, you know, he, uh, he he's a, a, a solid uh, person to talk to, and, and you know, such a scholar and a gentleman, and, and cuts up and has fun. And you know, when somebody tells me uh, of you know, Ed, Ed Waite's got a lot of knowledge of whitetails. You know, Ed, Ed hasn't really killed a big buck, but my gosh, he's had his hands on a lot of big bucks. I think Ed Waite has had his hands on more big bucks than any one man alive. Right. You know, and, and when somebody of that caliber as Ed Waite tells you that, you know, Steve and Scott Esker are uh, two of the, the the most dedicated whitetail chasers that some that he knows that that sticks with me and means something you know it, it, it was definitely something that i want to pursue and, and getting you on the show and not only you but i think uh here in the near future we're going to try to get with your brother and, and see if he would join us for an hour and maybe we can cuss and discuss and, yeah. and get a little more information out of him yeah yeah it's yeah i don't have any problems to him i think i just had another podcast last night so i I, I have people regularly calling me and asking me, you know, if we can, if we can talk to you. And, and I, and I enjoy giving out as much information as I can. I want everybody to be, to be successful. If there's anything that I can give that's positive and, and can help somebody figure out something, you know, I, I want it to, I want everybody to be successful. Yeah. And, and that, that's something that, uh, puts, uh, you and your brother and I'm sure your close friend there that comes out of state and hunts for nothing, you know, that, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure well, that, let's uh, put it this way: he killed a he killed a 177 this year. He killed a 167 last year. Nice. A 183 the year before. Wow. Uh, a few 150s. He's he's on a roll. <laughs> yeah, good deal. But you know that 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 separates you from the rest, you guys from the rest, because you're willing to talk about it, and, and, and you're not. Uh, you're not somebody that gets jealous of another hunter, and and that's what we want on the show. Somebody that's uh, that's uh, willing to talk and, and kind of break down what you guys do, and you know, for some people that's a struggle and, and very difficult to to pass on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of time and dedication to the to the woods for you guys and what you do. You know, and we appreciate you opening up to us. Yes. Yeah, not a problem at all. I was glad to talk to you guys tonight. Steve, I had one last question, and I want to just touch on it a little bit before we let you go, if that's okay. Um, Yeah. Talking about the Soul Lunar Tables, you said you've kind of come to understand that whole chart, and you believe in it, and some people do, some people don't. What what, uh, changed your mind about that, Uh, or what, what made you decide that that is, in fact, something that you should take a closer look at? Well, when you run along the trail cameras like I do, and then you see the, the amount of activity and it falls right in line with what these charts are telling you, you, you have to kind of believe that it's really working. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, you can, the proof is in the trail camera pictures that the pictures are, you know, there's more during those times. The deer are moving earlier. You're getting more daylight pictures, you know, so something, something's meshing there. Okay. And it's uh, the verdict, com- the complete verdict's still out, I would assume, but you are noticing some kind of correlation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I really try to hunt. If I'm going to pick, you know, four or five days in October, I'm going to pick days that are, that are going to be in my favor to be in the stand. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. Very, very good. Steve, I can't, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the show. It's been an honor and a pleasure listening to you. And, you know, we have a tremendous respect for the type of hunting you do and how you go about your methodologies. It's, it's really, um, it, it's awe. It, I'm in awe, to be honest. It's, it's awesome. And thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge to, to me and to our, all our listeners. I can't thank you enough. Well, I hope they, uh, hope all the listeners can get something out of it. I guarantee you they will. And, 
I know you say you're not much of a social media guy, but if we had more questions or if the listeners had other questions, is there a way to reach out to you? Uh, usually, you know, I'm pretty open to my Facebook. I'll allow most people on. I, I kind of have a little philosophy. If it's if they have over 500 and some common friends, I kind of don't invite them on because mostly they're an invite to some something they're selling or a product or something. Right. And I'm, so I've kind of like eliminated. So if it's somebody that is under 100, I'll look at their profile and I see if he's just a regular Joe. I usually invite him. Gotcha. All right. Fair enough. Well, Steve, uh, uh, we've taken up uh, about an hour here and I, I know you've got some Sitka gear to, or Sitka hunting to plan for. And, uh, yeah, some Sitka hunting. Sitka yeah. hunting. Yeah, yeah that's very tomorrow. cool, man. Very nice. nice. Well, righty, guys. Good luck with that. Well, and good, uh, good, good talking to you and you guys good luck the rest of the season. All right. Same to you, Steve. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, take care. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. I just don't even know how to wrap my head around Steve Esker's deer hunting abilities and strategies and plans. It's mind-blowing. Right, and I'm going to tell you how you wrap your head around it. You replay this podcast, and you take some detailed notes, and you learn from one of the best whitetail hunters in the state of Ohio. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, the proof's in the pudding here. I'm already like to, to, to figure adding things to my, my plan for next year. Absolutely. And that plan starts today. You know, new things I need to be doing right now to prepare for the deer hunt September 15th. Yeah. It's a uh, real interesting how Steve, uh, you know, not, not only is he growing great antlers, but you know, he's hunting very minimal. And that, I think that, that keeps the pressure low, that keeps the activity of human low in his area. Even though he's checking trail cameras, he's not spending hours in there uh, in, the, in the ground blind or a tree stand. I think that there is a grand slam, you know, low pressure hunt the days that are positive for killing big bucks, the wind's right, the conditions are right, the moon's right. It's all, you know, it's all talked about right there. It's all laid out for you. Yeah. Yep. It's right there. So if you're looking to pick up any new like camera equipment, like game camera equipment, some great sales going on as these retailers are unloading their inventory and, you know, Christmas time and all that stuff. But uh, because the season's over, they're just trying to dump it. So if you're thinking about buying some stuff, probably right now is a good time. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, thanks again, Steve Esker, for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Uh, learned a ton. So, Dusty, do you, I don't know how you follow that act, but do you have a Chubby Tines tip of the week? Yeah, I do have Chubby Tines tip of the week. You know, uh, one thing that uh, I've been getting a few messages about that, you know, almost in a desperate state of mind, some hunters are, and they're shooting out a few messages. And uh, one, one thing that I, I've mentioned to a couple hunters, and as they're telling me that they're hunting on the edge of a tree line and the, the deer are coming from behind them in the woods, coming out to the edge of the field, and they're, they're, they're talking to me about their setup. And, and one thing that uh, it's really standing out is uh, – breaking up their silhouette and they've neglected to realize that being on the edge of the woods uh, to an open field as a deer comes from behind you through the woods to the field edge if you're right on the very edge of that field and the sky's behind you you're you're getting almost like um, your silhouette sticking out to them tremendously like if you know just a scenario here a guy asked hey i've had a buck come through the same trail three times he gets 50 yards he looks up and sees me and i'm like okay something's telling me that there's there's something behind you that's really leaving you out in the open so what what the scenario was is he was in the edge the very edge the one of the trees on along the very edge with minimum uh, leaving or brush behind him, uh, branches, anything that break up a silhouette. So what I requested that he do is that he would go in and he would move in uh, approximately 10 to 15 yards interior of the woods. And that way he's got a few trees behind him. And with the with a few trees behind you, that'll break up your silhouette and up your chances that that deer will not pick you out based on your silhouette in the tree. So that's my chubby times to th- tip of the week. Just uh, be sure that you break that silhouette up if you're along the edge of the woods. Awesome, man. That's that's a very important one for sure. I've been busted for not doing that. So no, that's a good one. Well, very nice, man. Uh, we are on our way to the ATA hashtag ATA 2016. So if you're going to be in Louisville in town, please, uh, send us a, a tweet if you could, or shoot us an email and, uh, hashtag uh, ATA 2016 if you could. Oh man, I think that's been one tremendous podcast 
interview show. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and like I said, thanks again, Steve Esker, for uh, opening up to us. And, you know, you, I think that uh, the listeners will take their hunt to the next level with a podcast like this one. I agree. Well, this has uh, been fantastic, Dusty. And where can we find you when you're not hanging out here with me on the mic? Uh, Facebook.com forward slash uh, Chubby Tines Outdoors. Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Goggler. You can also look me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler. And if you're at the ATA, give us a shout out and, and look us up. You know, we'll be roaming around and uh, we got some meetings set up and some podcasts set up. And, and we're always looking forward to meeting our listeners. If you're going to be there, hook up with us. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? All right. Well, first and foremost, uh, as usual, if you're listening to this podcast on an Apple device, I'd uh, request that if you could, if you love the show, leave us a five-star review. And if you listen to this, sh- this episode, but you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button. Soon you'll be able to listen to this show on the Google Play Store, which should be launching sometime in January. So we're looking forward to that. We have been accepted to their podcast program. If you would like to get a hold of me, shoot me a, an email, j at bigbuckregistry.com. You can always find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. And on that Facebook page, if you would like to be famous for a day and get in front of 200,000 plus diehard deer hunters, please uh, go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck, and you will be able to be featured on our page if uh, you send it in we review it and it meets the cut so there are some criteria to the whole deal it's not just uh, send it in and we'll post it. it there are some things we look at yeah you can find us on twitter twitter.com forward slash big buck registry and uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, check us out over at the outdoor podcast channel which is also found on itunes i think that's a wrap dusty uh-huh, everywhere big buck Big buck, big buck, big buck. Very nice. Well, I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.